Hey, turn to the book of Hebrews real quick, will you? And we're going to be sharing just a couple of things here. I do believe that God wants to uh, move amongst his people in some powerful ways and touch individuals and touch nations with every good thing. You believe God is good? Come on. God wants to touch people with healing. He wants to touch his church with revival. He wants to release resource. He wants to uh, give you wisdom and joy. And the list is as endless as he is. But here's the key. Most of us have no trouble believing God could do anything he wants to do. Isn't that true? I mean, you're here today and if you have even the the slightest little belief or inkling that God exists, you would have to admit that if God is God, then he can do anything he wants to do. And most of us have no problem saying, well, yeah, God can do it. God can do anything. But you see, our could needs to change to a would. Are you following me? Not only can he do anything, but God wants and wills to do some things. And so this morning, I want to take just a few moments in these next weeks. I'm not going to be really in series format. I just want to share some things that are on my heart. And this morning, I want to talk to you what I entitled the real key to a turnaround. Expectation. The real key to a turnaround. Expectation. Am I the only one in the room this morning that has ever needed a turnaround? Am I the only one in the room that has ever been walking a direction and things weren't going right and everything's falling apart? It could be my life. It could be my job. It just could be circumstances. And I'm in the middle of something and it doesn't seem right. And I need a turnaround. I need something to change from the way and the direction it is going. God is the master of turnarounds. He's the master of breakthroughs. But there's a key to all of this. Now, it's good that you believe in the Lord. It's good that you walk with the Lord. It's good that you know certain things about the Lord. But there are some, there are just some foundational keys that if we don't get a hold of these things, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you accrue. You know, you can have, uh, a, 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 you know, intricate knowledge of building construction codes, uh, all the things that it takes to construct a house. You can have intricate knowledge of electricity and plumbing and the HVAC unit. But can I tell you, all of that is no good if someone doesn't give you a key to the front door. I mean, you, you can't get in and use any of it. You may know it all, but unless you get the key that can unlock the door so you can go in and enjoy it and receive it and use it as it was meant to be used, uh, it will do you no good. And so expectation is one of the keys that you and I are going to have to cultivate in our life in order to see God do some amazing, wonderful things. Now, two verses I want to read out of the book of Hebrews. Um, and then we're going to uh, read some out of the gospel because I believe it elaborates in uh, a lot more understandable ways. But in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read two verses. I'll be reading verse 1 and then I'm going to leap over to verse 6. So you may want to mark this. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Familiar words. It says this. Now faith. I always like that because he didn't say tomorrow faith. He didn't say yesterday faith. He said now faith. I need something now. God needs to move now. Now faith 
is the substance of things hoped for. Now that two-word phrase hoped for is the one you might want to underline. Hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We'll leave it there for just a minute and leap over to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Now there's the first part. Must believe that he is and, everyone say and. Okay, listen. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, that's really important because I've read verse six for years and it just sort of left out at me this week that that it is wonderful that you believe who he is. And we can shout and yell and scream and clap and and just get all excited about these things, which we should do. But just that does you no good unless you also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Before a person can even talk about faith, you first have to understand what it means to hope. Because faith and hope run around together. In fact, to be candid, they're really inseparable. And in God's mind, if both of these two things do not show up, then he's not obligated to move in any of our lives. This morning, you may have faith. You may tell me you believe this, you believe that, and and your belief system is all in order, and that's wonderful. But if your belief system is in order, yet you have no hope, then faith cannot link to something with which to manifest the thing that you believe is God's will for your life. Are you following me? There's hope. Hope is another good thing. We all need hope in our life. We need We need hope that there's a better tomorrow, that that where we're at today is not where we'll be the rest of our lives, that the future is good, that God has a plan for our lives. There's a purpose out there somewhere. And all these things are wonderful to have in our system and in our psyche. But unless that is linked with faith, you just have a great wish list. So we've got to get a hold of something. If we want to see God move and do miraculous things in our lives, we have to understand that faith and hope run around together. Now, our tendency is to define hope much like the word wish. We think hope and wish are synonymous. And that's simply not true. You know, we, we, we wish we had a better life. We wish we had a bigger house. We, we wish we had a better spouse. We wish we had a better job. We wish we had a more reliable car. We wish our situation would change. How many of you have been like me? Just admit it out loud. I've wished a lot of things. I wish it was different. Somehow I just wish it was different. A wish is something we may want, but that doesn't necessarily mean we expect it to happen. Are you following me? I know I'm keeping that phrase out there. Are you following me? We may want it to happen, but it doesn't mean we expect it to happen. People even do this at times with their eternal destiny. Now, most of you know this because you're saved and you've been led to the Lord in a way that has defined these things clearly. But for many people, when it comes to their going to heaven and their eternal destiny, if you were to ask them the question, are you going to heaven? They would respond with the phrase, I hope so. I hope so. Well, I'll be candid with you. In my experience, whenever someone says, I hope so, to that question, what that means is, is that they're really not all that sure. 
Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Can we get down inside of that? Because actually, you aren't really sure, are you? Now, here's the deal. For most of us who are in evangelical Bible-believing churches, and you've been here a while, you've been taught, hopefully well enough, to know that when it comes to salvation, hear me, you can know that you, that you, that you're saved. This is not something you have to uh, be uh, somehow lacking confidence in. You can have a confidence in knowing that you've been translated from death unto life. That you've been translated from darkness unto light. You can know these things. Wouldn't you like to know? I mean, if you're here today and you were one that maybe would have answered it that way. Well, I hope so. Can I just share this with you? That that before you leave, I I, I hope. And you're going to find out what I mean by that. I hope you reach the place that you'll say, I know so. Because I would think of all the decisions in your life. That would be one of the most important ones. Where are you going to spend eternity? But that's how we view the word hope. I hope I, I, I wish it would happen. I, I, I'm not sure, but 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 it's something I think I'd kind of like. But here's the key. We have to begin to reach the place where we begin to expect those things we know to be God's will. We got to begin to understand that when the Bible speaks of hope, it is different than the person who says, I hope so. Now, guys, put it on the screen overhead. The word hope actually comes from the Greek word elpis. Now, listen to this. You ought to write this down. It actually means the confident expectation that produces joy and pleasure of what you are envisioning. Now, just keep that up there for a moment. If you want to know what hope is, hope is a confident expectation. And in that expectation, there is pleasure, there is joy, For whatever it is that you see before you by way of a vision or a picture. Now, this is going to be important because hope is not a pipe dream. Hope is not a fantasy. There is expectation and dare I say anticipation that is involved in this biblical concept. Not only can you know that you know that you know that it's God's will for people to be saved, but this is what I believe. You can know that you know that you know that it is God's will that you aren't bound in addiction. You can't look at me and say, I'm addicted and I guess it's just God's will for my life. That's a lie. And you can walk around and say, well, I hope, I hope one day I'm out of this bondage. I hope one day I'm out of this. I hope and I'm glad you're wishing for that day. But are you expecting? Do you have a confident expectation that produces joy and pleasure of what you are envisioning? Now, here's what you should be envisioning. You should be envisioning a life that's free. That's loosed. You see, we've got to begin to envision the will of God, and then begin to know that as I believe that is God's will, then I must begin to expect that if it's God's will, I mean, what's going to stop God's will? Come on, nothing can stop God's will except your lack of expectation. Now, I'm just going to give you just a brief look into some transparent moments in my life. I want to tell you that as, as your pastor, I believe all the right stuff. I mean, I've been trained and gone through all the rigors of preparing for the ministry. I can assure you that I am thoroughly orthodox. I'm biblical in my beliefs. Most of the time, I think, in as much as I can know my heart and I understand that 
that I can't always know everything that's in my heart, but I do believe that as much as I can understand my heart, I believe my motives to be right, to be good. But do you know that just because I have those things going on in my life, it does not assure me that the things that I want to see happen will come to pass. I can struggle just like all of you because we're all human beings. Amen. All of us struggle with expectation. I can know that God wants to help me, wants to reward me. He wants to send revival. He wants to move on my behalf. And I can believe those things. How many of you will believe those things with me? That God wants to heal bodies. That God wants to resource His people for kingdom purpose. That God delivers. That God wants to move in revival. That God wants to win the cities and the nations. Oh, we believe these things. But do you and I expect that? Is there expectation in that regard? Churches, people, you know, struggle with this as well. We believe the right stuff. We are probably relatively pure in our motives for a lot of these things. We want God to do this. But my question is, how's your, how's your expector? Expector. In Mark chapter 5 and chapter 6, there are just three quick stories here. I want to, I may read some of it. I may just take the time just to tell you the story. But there are three stories in a row. I just noticed this as I was studying for this morning. There are three stories in a row in Mark 5 and 6 that I think were put together for an important purpose in order to help us with this area of understanding what goes on in people's lives. Now, story one is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 25, and I would suspect many of you know the story. It's the woman with the issue of blood. You know the story here. In uh, Mark 5, 25, it says that she's had this issue of blood. Her uh, cycle, her, her monthly women's cycle uh, was out of whack, and it says that she'd had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, ladies, I'm just here to tell you, I, I, I'm not a woman. I'm not sure I understand that, but I can understand that that probably wouldn't be a good thing. 12 years of having a nonstop cycle going on in her body. It says she suffered many things from many physicians. She tried uh, to get help from, from the medical community, at least the medical community of that era. She'd spent all that she had and that she was no better, but she grew worse. And then she heard Jesus was going to show up. And you know the story from there. She begins to say to herself, if I but touch his garment, I will be made well. Verse 28, you ought to underline that. I will, I shall be made well if I could just touch his garment. And so what does she do? She begins to navigate her way through these crowds. Now listen to me, here's the church. The church is crowding around Jesus. Everybody's hollering out, Hosanna, here's Jesus. He's the master. Heal me, heal me, heal me. And, he's, and, and realize he's, he's in this crowd. The disciples are with him. He's bumping people everywhere he goes. But all of a sudden, this woman who's on all fours, navigating her way through the, the mud and the mire and all the other things that would have been found on a Jerusalem dirty road, she's navigating her way through there until she finally catches the hem of his garment. Now listen to me because this is so important. Here we are in church this morning and we're all clamoring, Jesus, look at my knee. Jesus, touch me. And we're all reaching out there for him. And yet why is it that it seems like maybe one or two or 
three or maybe at most a half dozen people seem dramatically touched, but maybe the rest of us walk away. And while we still love the Lord and it's not like we're going to, you know, turn our backs on him. Why is it that it seems like there's some who touch him that are touched back, but there are some who touch him and nothing happens? Can I suggest this to you? It's because she said, if I get a hold of him, it shall happen. My question to you is, as you came even into the house of God and knew that the presence of God would be here, was there something that arose in you and said, when I lay hold of him this morning, it shall happen. That's what we're talking about when it comes to expectation. That was the key. She had an expectation of what would happen. It wasn't a wish. It wasn't a maybe. It wasn't an, you know, it wasn't our typical American. Well, I hope, well, I hope if I get my knees dirty and I get my hands dirty and I go through all this effort, well, I kind of hope it works out for me. No, she knew. Now, there are five things I'm going to throw out here about expectation real quick. Now, I'm going to deal with really where we're at. Where the part is not so much we can't get a hold of this, but it's the part I'm getting to here in just a minute. But I got to sew this into you. There's five quick things that we got to get into our system. Number one is your faith only works when you have true hope to link to it. You can believe, hear me, the right things and you can be standing in faith. And I know people stand in faith for all sorts of things, but you've got to let your expector arise again. I don't even know that that's a word. I'm making words up. If you're new to us here, you'll find out that I add to the dictionary regularly. I just make words up. I'm making a word up because I don't think you'll find this one. It's an expector. That's what's inside of your, your, your expectation level. And, and if you don't have any expectation that God will move, you can believe all the right stuff. And, and that's what the Hebrew writer said. He said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So in other words, faith can't become substance or manifestation unless you have an expectation that that thing is the will of God. Are you following me? So, so you've got to link it up together. We believe that's our problem with the church. We believe a lot of the right stuff, but there's no expectation that it will work in our life or around us. So your faith only works when you have true hope to link to it. Number two, you will never act on something you are not sure about. You see, if she wasn't really sure, do you think she would have really done that? I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not convinced she would have. That's our problem, really, is that the reason we don't do certain faith acts is because we're really not sure it'll work. Even as I was listening to Dan share and, and, and his testimony is like mine and I would suspect thousands and thousands and thousands of other people is that there are see, the initial season we say to ourselves, I'm not sure this is going to work. And until you are convinced that it is God's will to open up the windows of heaven, it is God's will to rebuke the devourer, it is God's will to take the curse off your life, I know that I know that I know this will happen, whether or not it, you think it will, you know it will, it's your expectation it will. So every time the Baird household loses finance towards God, I expect blessing. I expect that. I've got to. Otherwise, you're right. It'll drain you. I'll be the first one to admit it. If you just do it with no expectation, you can believe the right thing. And that's why there have been tithers even in the church that have tithed and tithed and tithed and tithed. And they'll look and go, never worked for me. Never happened to me. I'm not convinced it'll work. Let me tell you, you've got to get your expectation up again. 
you're going to do something in faith that has to have expectation with it. Because sooner or later, you're not going to act on something you're not sure about. Number three, instead of waiting for a miracle to perhaps show up, you must press with your expectation into your miracle. Now, that's exactly what this woman did. She wasn't hoping that maybe, you know, well, maybe he'll sovereignly walk by my street. And uh, maybe he'll sovereignly knock at my door. And maybe he'll come in and then he'll touch me and heal me from this, from this issue of blood. Some of us are like that. Well, you know, I'll, I'll sit here and I hope he comes by and does this. I hope he figures out my phone number. I hope Jesus knows my address. Maybe he'll come by and. I heard he only goes down the major streets, though. He never hits the side streets. And do, do, do you hear yourself? You've got to get up and you've got to begin to press into some things. See, that's why I believe the house of God is, is important. Now, I understand you can love God, serve God and follow the Lord. And, and I realize that going to church uh, doesn't make you uh, any more holy or a Christian anymore than sleeping in your garage makes you a jaguar. I understand that. But there comes a moment you got to arise somehow and you got to begin to press and chase and desire. And in that there is an expectation that a miracle can take place. You can't sit and just say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe today's my day. Why don't you just why don't you get something inside of you that just arises and says today is my day. Everyone else may be praising God in this place, but I, I, I'm going to believe that the Lord is going to say, who's praising me like that? Who's loving me like that? I know there's thousands loving on me, but who in the world's loving me like that? And you just say, that's me, Lord. That's me. Because you pressed in. And pressing in isn't always just a physical activity. Sometimes it's just a heart activity, a spiritual thing that just says, I refuse to let go. I can just share this with you. I believe that God's going to give me longevity. I've already declared that. And, and, and I believe that I'm never going to have a bad report. But I, I want to tell somebody who got a bad report from a doctor. And maybe they gave you a certain time span of living like you got three months, six months, a year to live. Can I just share this with you? I would keep expecting God to heal me till the 365th day showed up. Instead of marking my calendar for how many days I got left. You say, well, there's people all over the world that need healing. Maybe so, but God's going to find me today. He's going to find me this morning. Number four, expecting and acting will release your breakthrough. Expecting and acting. You, you've, got, you've got to believe and to have, have, a, have a knowledge that he wants and will do that. And then you have to begin to act. On that, I don't know what all that may mean, but you got to begin to act on some things. You can't wait till everything's perfect and then suddenly move in God. A lot of people think if it's not perfectly in order, then somehow, somehow it, we, we can't move forward. Folks, we live in a world that's out of order. There ain't nothing in this world ever going to be perfectly in order. And if I've heard the will of God, I know what he wants. He's asked me some things. I know his word and his precept. I believe it's true. I have an expectation that he wants to. Then you know what? I need to act. Don't, don't, don't wait until someone just confirms it. Sometimes you just got to act. And as you begin to act on those things, you'll be amazed at what God begins 
to do in your life. I believe expecting and acting releases breakthrough. And finally, number five, crowds may believe and be inspired, but the expectant receive and are blessed. It's, it's one thing to hear a great message like, well, I hope this morning's a great message, so I guess we'll find out later. But it's one thing to be inspired by what I tell you this morning. And again, to just shout, yell, and have a good time, and that's great to come to the house of God. Nothing wrong with that. I like it when you say amen. But you can be inspired and still bound. You can be inspired and still diseased. You can be inspired and still in poverty. You can be inspired and still in the chains that are not God's will for you to wear. And there comes a moment that, that you've got to break out of just your inspiration mode and begin to get to the receiving mode. You receive what it is that God says he wants to do in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit just reminded me of a story of how this precept works. I want to tell you just a little story here. And... Uh, <clears throat> I've used it maybe years ago. Uh, some of you may, it may spark a memory. Uh, but but the, the Spirit of God was just showing me, when I was about in fourth grade, uh, we were living uh, outside of Chicago. And um, like a lot of young kids, especially boys, I had this fixation on getting a mini bike. I mean, I desperately wanted a mini bike. In those days, you know, Sears... And pennies would sell mini bikes. I don't know. Some of you maybe are old enough to remember that you get the catalog. And I'd get that catalog and I'd go right to the mini bikes. And they had some Briggs and Stratton engine on it. And, you know, I just, I just, there's something as a, as a boy, that's what you want. You want wheels with a motor. Speed. There's always a need for speed. And, you know, and, uh. Man, I just, I wanted it and I wanted it. And, and so I would ask my folks and of course their response was, you know, Kevin, there's nowhere really to ride it. I go, oh, my friends have mini bikes and they find, a yeah, they're riding it on the street and other places they aren't supposed to be riding it. And uh, there's no place to ride it. But, but I, I remember this so clearly. I would go to school and, I, and in those days I, I could walk to school and it might have been, uh, well, it seems like, you know, it was a mile. It was 10 miles with snow up to my waist and no, uh, I'm but, but, but it was a walk, and I can, just as if it were yesterday, I can remember when, I, when the bell would ring and when I would go home, and I would start walking home, there was something in me that would start going, I wonder if my dad got me a mini bike today. <laughs> really, that's really what was going on. I wonder if there's a mini bike in the garage. Boy, I bet there's a mini bike in the garage. I can't explain why I would do that. Because they told me no. They told me it wasn't going to happen. And uh, I'd go home and, and with God as my witness, I would always go in the garage and just, oh, hope beyond hope that there would be a mini bike there. And there was never a mini bike there. And then it went to like fifth grade and sixth grade. Well, then I started, you know, back in those days, Honda made those small motorcycles and and it went from like a honda 50 to a honda 70 and and i'd start and i'd start envisioning oh maybe maybe dad went to the honda store today maybe 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 he did i know he did i know he did and oh i i and, and i can't tell you every every day every day christmas it was just oh it was just debilitating at christmas time i mean you were sure that bike was going to be under the tree somehow, somewhere. And it was just debilitating. And, I t and it just was relentless inside of me. Now, hear me now. I, 
I don't, I'm just a kid. I don't, I don't even know that right now I can analyze my whole understanding of God and salvation and all those sorts of things. I'm not sure I can analyze that to give you some sort of treatise on where I was spiritually. I'll tell you where I was spiritually. I wanted a mini bike. That's where I was spiritually. That, that was the most consuming thing in all my being. And, and so we went, remember, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. It just was constant. Until ninth grade. My dad came in and looked at me one day and said, Kevin, would you like a motorcycle? <laughs> would I like a motorcycle? Of course I'd like a motorcycle. And he just, he didn't get me some mini bike. He didn't get me a Honda 50. He didn't get me a Honda 70. I got a, a 125 SL with the knob tires. It was a cool dirt bike. And I remember coming home and it was in my garage. And, 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 I, and I tell you this story because there's a preset behind it. There was something that had so captured me about a mini bike. Now, a mini bike isn't going to change nations. A mini bike isn't going to set people free. A mini bike isn't going to heal people's sicknesses and diseases. And I'm telling you, a mini bike's probably way down the list on what God needs to do in the earth. But there was this kid who believed it could happen. And, and every day I carry this expectation. And I'm going to share something with you in just a moment. Because what happens is when you go to the garage and it's not there, disappointment can set in. And we don't know how to handle disappointment, but that's what goes on in many of our lives. But as a kid, you're just, you're just relentless. Come on, you know your children are relentless. They'll ask you for cookies and stuff, and you'll say, no, 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 no. And they just keep asking until you finally go, put it in your mouth, put the cookie in your mouth. That's why, listen, that's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God must be understood through the eyes of a child. Because as adults, we get disappointed, we get hurt, we get wounded. And what happens is, is we just say, oh, it must not have been, must not be dad's will. Just must not be on dad's heart. And, and it only takes for most of us about 24 hours to get that way. But fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade. That was a long time in kid years. Have you ever wondered why for kids it seems like Christmas is so far apart? And for us adults, it seems like it was just yesterday. It's because, it's because to them, they've only lived a few short years. And so for them, a year consumes a much larger percentage of their life than those of us that are old. It consumes a much smaller part. So when you're a kid, you're thinking, man, Christmas is forever getting here. And as an adult, you're saying it can't be Christmas again. Hey, listen, I haven't even taken my lights off my palm tree yet. <laughs> Christmas comes so fast at our house, I just left the lights up on the palm tree. Hey, I, but I know Christmas will come again. And I don't know why that mini bike just captured me. 
And, and I wasn't going to let it go. And we let go of things too easy. We will not stand. That's why Paul said that you must fight the good fight of faith. That there are some things you're going to have to believe God for and it's going to be like a fight in your system. That's what happened in the Hebrews 11 bunch that we find there. These were people that had to carry the sword. They were challenged by scourgings and tortures. They were challenged by years and years and years of anticipation and waiting. And yet it says that they received a good report because they refused to let go of what they knew God had said. Folks, God said He would pour forth of His Spirit on all nations and all people. We need to expect that to happen. Anticipate that to happen. Why not today? Let God come. When you're laying in a hospital bed and everybody's figuring out how they're going to divvy out your inheritance, you need to look at them and say, put, put, put your, your, your self-storage places don't go get them yet. I'm not out of here yet. God said that He would heal me. And you're going to have one of them look at you because they're wanting that thing, you know, that's in your house. And they're going to be licking their chops for that thing. And they're going to say, well, the doctor said you look real bad. Well, the doctor isn't the last say on this issue. The doctor's been fooled before. We need to understand that there will be things that will attack your hope. I'm telling you from a guy who has had his hope at times attacked. Listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not running that up the flagpole like it's more devastating than yours. I'm just simply saying we all know what it's like to have believed and, and for whatever reason we feel like it hadn't happened. Whatever area, whatever arena it may be in. You wanted the job, but the job didn't come. You thought you were getting this money and the money didn't come. You thought God was going to do this, but it didn't happen. And all of a sudden, your hope was attacked. Your expectation has been diminished. You no longer anticipate. You just let it go. Now, it's interesting that after this woman who demonstrates with such clarity her expectation, there's two more stories attached to it. The second story, beginning in Mark 5.35, is, is after this healing, he's instantly, Jesus is instantly uh, asked to come to this household where a little girl has died. And uh, so they bring him. And it says in verse 37, he, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. He came uh, to the house. And uh, when he came in, he instantly, he instantly says, why is all this commotion and weeping here? The child's not dead, simply sleeping. And it says that they ridiculed him. They literally ridiculed him. So what does Jesus do? He, he runs them out of the house. Now, this is really important because a lot of times there's some things you need to run out of your life. And Jesus knew that. He said, I'm running you guys out because you are going to help here with regards to expectation. Now, understand this little girl had passed away. And the key is post it, guys, the key and story number two. The key is, will you let your disappointment steal your miracle moment? Can you not imagine these parents have just watched their little girl die in front of them? I'm not, I'm not sure there could be anything more disappointing than seeing that. And, 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 and all of a sudden you're being attacked and you're being hit. And Jesus is showing up saying, hey, hey be cool, don't worry about it. Uh, she's just sleeping here. Now, there's a choice that mom and dad's going to have to make at that particular moment. 
Is she going to are they going to choose to believe those that ridicule or are they going to believe the master who says she's just asleep? So I got two things I want to mention here as we're dealing with disappointment. Number one is you need to clear the room from people who want you to nurture your disappointment. I have found through the years that there are a lot of people who will help me nurture my disappointments. They'll come up to me and say, you remember when? Yeah, I, yeah I'm trying to forget, but now that you mention it, yeah, I do remember. And, and there are times there are these people around you nurturing your disappointment that, and again, you can't, I understand about relationship and not every relationship is just easily broken, but I'm just telling you something inside of you, and I'm talking to some folks here, there are people who are rooting for your demise. And you keep going back, letting them help you nurture your disappointments. You need to break that and, and get them, because I'm telling you, disappointment will steal and, and, and suppress your expector. All right. Number two, desire and disappointment will not dwell together inside of you. One will eventually win. It's kind of like fear and faith. Fear and faith cannot exist together for long. One will dominate. So will desire and disappointment. If you live in disappointment, what will happen is it will push out all of the want to and the desire that God may have a better plan for you. Everyone faces disappointment. Listen, in the society we live in, I mean, half of our society has faced divorce. And just by facing a divorce, you've experienced some disappointment. Somebody disappointed you. They didn't stick with you. They didn't walk with you. That's disappointing. Most of us have faced injustices. Some of us have been fired. Uh, some of us have been, you know, uh, unrighteously dealt with. Some of us have, have been told things that were disappointing and people haven't lived up to their word or something like that. And here's the question. You face a disappointment, but will you allow it to stop God's promise to you? And I have decided with everything within me that I am no longer going to determine my future on the words of those who don't care. God can do great things in your life. Which leads us to this third story, and then we'll be done. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus leaves that scene after he'd raised the girl from the dead. He leaves that scene, and then he goes to his own country, Nazareth. And while he's in Nazareth, he's teaching, and everybody's kind of looking at him. And they say something that's real interesting in verse 3. It says here, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now, what happened was, is that Jesus shows back into his hometown and everybody's listening to him. But the only thing they can see is the kid that they grew up with. All they see is, is the kid that maybe some of them changed diapers on. All they can see is the kid that ran and played with all the other kids. All they can see is the is the Jesus who for years was around them, probably looking very much like any one of us in our growing up years. And because of that familiarity, they could not, the Bible says, receive their miracle. It says that uh, Jesus said, verse four, prophets not without honor, except in his own country. And in verse five, it says, now he could not do mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And so basically he went away and he taught somewhere else. The key here is, will you minimize or overlook who it is that's before you? Can I just tell you, people miss miracles because they're offended. 
People miss miracles because they're familiar. We come to church in this place every week. We sing praises. We get before God. It's a familiar place. We sing familiar songs. We do familiar things. And what happens is out of that familiarity, it, it, it begins to suppress our expectation. Because for us, at times, going to church doesn't eclipse really much like going to the mall to buy a new outfit. And we've got to realize that familiarity will begin to steal our expectation level. Number one, people miss miracles. I said out of offense. And number two is your ability to expect a miracle will literally, your, excuse me, your inability to expect a miracle will literally tie the hands of the Lord. And so this morning, I want you to hear me. God is willing and able to do some miraculous things in our midst. But if we do not expect him to do this, that's the one thing that can tie his hands and keep him from moving powerfully in all of our lives. Now, it would be a lie to tell you that I don't personally internally struggle with my expectation level. Can I just say, and God just gave me a word of knowledge. You're just like me. All of us struggle internally with our expectation levels. My expector has been damaged through the years. I had things that I thought would happen. I had things that I thought would work out this way or that way, and they didn't. I had, I had people disappoint me. I've had just, just circumstance in life take place. And when you do this for what's coming up on 51 years, when you do this for 51 years, your expector gets damaged. And I don't know how it works for you, but can I tell you how it works in me? It works this way in me. I begin to say to myself, if I just don't expect anything, then I'm never disappointed. I don't know if you can identify with that or not. But if I just don't expect much out of people, they'll never disappoint me. But I don't expect much in my life. And you know what we do? We, we, we begin to convince ourselves somehow that's humility. I'm just, well, really, I'm just being humble. I really ought not think so highly of myself anyway. I mean, who am I? You know what I believe? I believe that's what Paul was saying in Colossians when he, when he rebuked them for false humility. Because you see, if it's God's will and, 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 and it's his desire for me, then why would that be arrogant? To simply say, well, Lord, do it. I want your will. I want your ways. I want your plan for my life. I want your purposes. But what happens is, is the enemy and the enemy is so good at this. He just keeps throwing these things at you that just that just hit your your expectation in you through disappointment. And believe me, there are plenty of ways he can bring disappointment into all of our lives and it damages us. But it's interesting that that probably in the last year and, and couple of years, I have really personally begin to zero in on getting my expector healed and getting my expector functioning again as it should be. My wife, bless her heart, she's been the best, the best cheerleader at times in my life to look at me 
Because she knows. She knows the damage that's been done in that expector. And she's a constant encourager. She'll look at me and she'll say, Kevin, you got to believe and you got to expect God to do this. And she'll just keep doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that. And hear me this morning. I'm doing that with you. Some of you right now, you're disappointed, you're wounded, and you're hurt. And your expector has just been damaged. And I'm looking at that inside of your spirit right now. And I'm saying it is time to believe God again. It is time to rise up again and know that it is his will to bring you into a good land. It is his heart to bring you into a better day. He will turn the chapter. He will change the tide. He will move for you. Listen to me. Don't listen to those other voices. Run them out of the room. Listen to this voice. God has a future for you. A future. And the minute I started to really get a hold of that, it was amazing to me. I didn't do anything different except I got my expector changed. And the minute I started getting my expector changed, things changed. I didn't have to run the universe. The universe adjusted the minute my expectation in God changed. And I'm telling for some of you right now, you're doing your best to change your universe. And God says, I'll change your universe if you'll let me heal your expector again, your expectation levels. God is starting to turn things around. You know what? I, I, want, I want to tell you all the things that God has done, but I'm afraid if I did that, it would almost, I guess I'd have to boast in the Lord. So I'd, I'd just leave it as an, a, just a, a testimony with no specifics. It has amazed me in the last few weeks. Nothing has changed. I still pastor in a mall. I'm still Kevin Baird. I'm still bald. I could stand to lose about 20 pounds. I still holler and yell. I still do all of these things. Nothing's changed except my expectations. I'm getting my expectation back again. Come on, I believe the right stuff, but, but you got to expect that stuff to come your direction. Some of you are mad at people, kind of like I was. It's easy to do. You just you get mad at people because you think people are your problem. Your problem isn't people. Your problem is your expectation. If you'd expect people to like you. If you'd expect people to love you. If you'd expect God to do good things for you tomorrow morning when you woke up. You say, well, what if it doesn't happen? Well, you see, you already got a problem. So what if it doesn't happen? Then just hang on Tuesday. Fourth grade, fifth grade. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, mini bike. Some of you want something next week. Let me tell you, I, 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 if I could, I'd give it to you next week. I don't understand why there was four or five years. Maybe mini bikes are at the end of God's list of what he hands out. I don't know. But the key is you keep your expector up. Keep your expector up. Stand with me, will you?